Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. John the Baptist prepares the way. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He has a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. When they went to confess their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Baptism and Temptation of Jesus One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Good morning, my name is James Kuman. I'm the pastor here with this people known as Inglewood Church. Glad you've joined us. If you're new with us this morning, you're jumping into the middle of a conversation we've been having over this year, looking at God's work of freeing people. This foundational story of God, his love for a particular people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, coming into history and rescuing them from their enslavement in Egypt and the way that God continues to work freedom in our lives today. Here's the piece that is helpful for us as we move forward this morning. God's people had been experiencing death in Egypt, death from the institutionalized violence of their Egyptian slave masters, this empire that built its wealth on the backs of others. And then they faced death from the plagues that persuaded Egypt to let them go, but without God's hand protecting them, they too would have been affected every bit as much as the Egyptians. Now traveling out towards the desert, they then experience the death of the Red Sea in front of them, which they have no way of crossing, and death coming behind them from the Egyptian army pursuing, yet God opens a way for them through death 
through the waters of the Red Sea and they come out onto dry land on the other side. Now their external freedom has been accomplished for them, but the wilderness then becomes a time of experiencing the progressive gift of internal freedom. In the wilderness where materially, physically, they lack so much, in this place they discover the freedom that comes from trusting a God who can provide all their needs even when externally there's nothing. And so fed by manna from heaven, provided water, victory over their enemies, they then arrive at a new barrier, the Jordan River. Now, of course, this is not the Jordan River. This is the Sammamish River in our own backyard. Nowadays, they, they look a lot alike. The Jordan has a stronger flow. But in ancient times, the Jordan River looked a lot more like, well, in our area, say the Nooksack River up north near Bellingham. And like the Nooksack River does from time to time in our own backyard, the Jordan River every spring went into serious flood mode. Now imagine the scene with me. The people are about ready to cross. Joshua has received the instructions from God that the priests are to walk up to the water carrying the Ark of God on the two carrying poles. And the instant their feet touch the edge of the flooded Jordan, the waters start to recede because about 18 miles upstream, God stops the waters in a heap and the waters simply recede away from where the people need to walk. This isn't quite the feat of absolute impossibility like crossing the Red Sea would have been nonetheless extremely dangerous for a whole people, babes in arms and gray hairs alike. Yet God goes ahead of them. The Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of his presence. The priests, as those who mediate God's presence to the people, they go in first. Everyone passes through the waters safely. And then only after they have gone through do these priests and the Ark, the symbols of God's presence with them, then walk up onto dry land into the promised land together. To pull this back into our own time and place, what's facing us? Well, a virus that's all around us, literally death and illness and economic uncertainty that simply will not go away as much as we wish it would. We face in front of us 400 years of embedded racial injustice that we all in various ways and our ancestors have participated in and we simply cannot cross this flood at will, no matter how much we wish we could. And, of course, we have to face our own personal and church complicity in this. The Presbyterian Church is not immune from having participated in a variety of really abysmal racial injustice over the years. And we are a part of that. And now coming back to the Jordan with all of this in our minds, what do we see? We see John the Baptist appear, this character in the wilderness, in the place where God's people had been transformed, where their hearts had been changed, their hearts had been freed for loving service and trust with God. 
And he calls people to actually leave what physically was the promised land, Judea and Jerusalem, and come and join him in the wilderness for a new renewing of their very selves. To then join him in once more through the waters of Jordan, declaring that now, now by God's grace, they were repenting and turning to God. Now they were in some ways for the first time entering into the life of promise, preparing their hearts for the arrival of the King, this Messiah who was promised. I dare say the vast majority of what we struggle with feels like slavery. Now, we may not use that word, of course, though we, you know, sometimes do. I think the words that would normally come to mind and would normally pass our lips are more words like rut, compulsion, addiction, system. But all of those things represent or come to the same final end things that are in some way, shape, or form beyond our control to fix. And so what we're saying to ourselves and in our vocabulary with each other is we need someone else to come and rescue us. And friends, that is exactly what we have in Jesus. We have Joshua who comes to us each of us and to all of us, the people of God, and leads us through to the promised land, going himself where he then will take us. Friends, I don't know exactly what it is that you face, that you struggle with in your life, whether it's something intensely personal, a particular habit, a particular compulsion, or whether what's weighing on you most of all, as it is for many of the rest of us, these larger patterns and systems in our country, what can bring us to the point where we see some kind of substantial repentance and healing in these historical processes and evils that have so weighed us down for so long? Friends, the, the truth of Jesus, this beautiful image of Jesus bringing us safely through the waters, in one sense is is not the final word, but it must absolutely be for us the beginning word. The truth that we go back to again and again, we cry with Martin Luther, I am baptized. This evil has no claim on me. I am set free. The image Paul uses in Romans that Luther and others have drawn from is exactly this, that our sin, our wickedness, both personal and corporate, was back in Egypt, and all of us, every single one of us, is invited to leave Egypt, to leave the place that we live, to journey with Jesus through the wilderness into the promised land, into freedom. That must remain the foundational word. But friends, the particulars are going to be worked out in conversation with God and in conversation and community. And so I invite you to look up a friend. Give me a call, one of the other elders a call. Invite other people in. And most of all, invite Jesus in 
through his spirit, he stands ready and willing to continue to walk with you to work out your salvation, the salvation he has already given you. And let me say this. If you are not yet baptized, if you have tasted of Jesus and want to receive this gift, you want to find yourself in him, with him, to have him free you from everything that you cannot free yourself from. If you would like to explore baptism, please get in touch with me. You can message the church, email the office. My email address is simply pastorcuman at gmail.com. Get in touch. Let's have a conversation and dialogue and invite you into this right of freedom to follow Jesus into baptism, the baptism that he modeled for us, received this baptism of repentance, though he needed no repentance, to literally walk through the water, immersed in the water, raised up from the water, so that we could find life in him and join him in that freedom that he offers. And for all those who have been united with Jesus in baptism, this is our ongoing forever freedom meal. This last supper, this Lord's Supper that we celebrate as often as we can as the people of Jesus is a Passover meal. It has its roots in that meal that God's people ate in haste as they were about to be freed from Egypt. And we too now eat it in celebration for the freedom God has given us in the past. This freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from all that would come against us inside and from without. And friends, anyone who trusts in Jesus, who's given their life and said, Jesus, I give you my life, you are Lord, is invited to take this meal together as one of God's new adopted family. The story is quite simple, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He'd been in ministry for three years after 30-some years as a carpenter in a backwater of Galilee on the edge of the Roman Empire. And now, three years into his public ministry, it's about to culminate in his death. We human beings who simply cannot tolerate goodness absent the grace of God to change us, saw this goodness enter our world and put it to death. But it was death in our place. Jesus' death was the death we deserved. And in his resurrection life, we find life. Now on that night that he was betrayed, knowing that all this would happen, Jesus took the bread that was part of that Passover meal and he took the bread and after having given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, all of you, do this, remembering me. This is my body broken for you.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and after having again given thanks, he gave this cup of wine to his friends saying, take, drink, all of you. This is now the cup of the renewed covenant, sealed in my blood, says Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink, all of you. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes again in glory to renew all things and give us the ultimate promised land that can never be taken away from us, can never be tainted by anything evil or bent or broken again. Praise be to God. Now in your homes, wherever you're watching, now take the bread and the juice or the wine. Share it together. Amen.